just want to make the point that these idea of augmenting your reality is happening already all around you, whether you know it or not. AR isn't just this idea of having a, a visual heads up display while you're looking at the world. Of course, that's the one that we see mostly, but it's all of these senses can be augmented. With technology, what if we can enhance that experience or add more value than just what you're smelling, just what you're hearing, just what you're seeing? The consumer mindset has changed, yet we intuitively know that consumers have a desire to get back to something that feels normal. That's why in this series of episodes, we're looking at the future buying journey. What does normal look like to the post-pandemic consumer? In this context, what needs to change so we're prepared for our new customer journey? And what must we do to be ready for the next growth cycle? I'm Tizzy Philp, and I'll be speaking to a whole host of guests from the Valtec Future Studio team to talk through their insights, impressions, and reactions to this new era of customer experiences. We'll be talking connected experiences, the concept of the dynamic store, whether there's actually some pleasure in the friction we're all trying so hard to remove, and the need to mimic physical interactions in a believable way, as well as so much more. So let's get started. So this is a particularly exciting recording. I'm joined by Matt Moray, SVP of Technology. And part of this conversation is to be focused on how will new technology change the way that people interact with brands in the future, whether that's influenced directly by the pandemic or whether this is talking about things that were happening anyway and just accelerated by the pandemic or whether we're just thinking uh, very much in the future what might happen. So I'm going to introduce Matt first of all. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Currently, I'm uh, running the Valtech Future Studio Experimentation Lab. Uh, and so what is that? That's our internal R&D team, which really means that I think I have uh, one of the best jobs at Valtech. So my job literally is to take emerging technology and figure out how we can best use it for uh, various industries and our partners and clients. So uh, I'm literally spending a bunch of time minting brand new NFTs and playing on the blockchain and building AR environments and doing 3D human animations. And uh, it changes every day, which is awesome and fun. It's crazy right now. And I always wonder if uh, technology has always been crazy uh, advancing, but it feels uh, exceptionally crazy right now. And there's been a lot of acceleration happening due to COVID and other things. But uh, just the uptick recently in AR and the uptick in blockchain technologies, it's a really fun time right now. What are the kind of things that you're working on at the moment, Matt? Is there anything that really stands out that you're able to talk about? Yeah. Uh, so I would say a lot of focus right now, a lot of interest uh, is how best to use kind of enhanced realities, meaning augmented reality and virtual reality. It's kind of been in the gaming industry for quite a while and popular there. And a lot of brands are wondering what they can do with it. And if uh, everyone doesn't want to miss the boat, so they want to make sure they're at the, on the boat when this VR thing takes off or this AR thing takes off. And so what we're finding is maybe VR isn't quite ready for all applications just yet, but AR definitely is, so augmented reality. And what's great about the web over the last couple of years is that modern smartphones now uh, are fast enough to just use web technology to do some of these augmented reality experiences. So what that means is you don't have to install a native app, which is a big hindrance for someone that wants to do a one-off or a one-time experience. And so now you can just scan a QR code or put in a URL 
And just in the browser, Chrome on Android or Safari on iOS, you can be in a completely different world or an augmented world, um, be it in a store or be it at home or wherever you are. And so this idea of augmenting uh, reality has tons of benefits uh, for brands. So for example, if you're buying a winter jacket, you can view what that jacket's going to look like in a white snowy environment as opposed to a stale fall retail store. So fun stuff like that. Uh, and, it, and it allows you to have a lot more fun and get closer to your customer or your guest. I think when people look back over the virtual reality conversation or augmented reality, consumers will go, okay, great. Or maybe even the listeners of this podcast, they'll think, great, all sounds really cool, sounds very exciting. You know, we working in the digital sphere can understand the potential that these technologies have. But if we look at virtual reality to start with, there hasn't been the adoption that we would have expected. You know, those of us working in this industry, why do you think that the consumer hasn't picked up on it as much as we thought it was? they would? Is that an infrastructure thing or is that just people aren't ready for this kind of innovation? Uh, it's a value proposition problem and a technology problem. So I look at AR and VR on a range and AR is there now, the technology is there and the value is there, whereas VR hasn't really moved up that, uh, that range yet to provide enough value. So the optical resolutions that we can achieve in VR right now it's just not good enough. If you put on a VR mm -hmm. headset, I forget what the stats are, but you could argue that you know 50% of people are kind of get a little woozy when they're in mm -hmm. VR. It, and the wireless VR, meaning I'm not plugged into a high-powered gaming PC, uh, is just coming into the market. And you know it's only as fast as modern cell phones, which are awesome. Modern smartphones are incredibly fast these days, and that's what's powering these wireless headsets. But still, the optical resolution that you see, basically when you have the headset on, is still, I don't know, it's the equivalent of looking in a, a 480p analog television versus a 4K high definition you know, LED OLED style screen. So I think we still are a generation or two generations of technology away before VR technology is there. And then it's up to content creators and brands and industries to decide how to best provide value. You can definitely see VR taking off in very specialized niche fields, uh, such as manufacturing or the medical field, uh, training areas where it's much better to, to practice uh, performing a surgery in VR than it is on a real body, so to speak. It is taking off in various ways, but from a mass market appeal, VR is definitely uh, a generation or two away. Does that mean five years, 10 years? I don't want to be the guy that predicts that, but <laughs> a AR is definitely here now. And the value is there now. And any generation smartphone in the last couple of years is powerful enough to do really good augmented reality. So it's no longer a technology problem on AR. It's more of a content and value proposition. I think that's really uh, an interesting one, isn't it? When you say about generations, as you've alluded to, what does a generation in technology even mean anymore? Is that talking in matters of, of years or weeks, as might be the case over the last, uh, last few years? All right, so let's go down into uh, AR in a little bit more detail then. For those people who maybe aren't so familiar with what AR is or how it can be used, can you just give the layman's, uh, layman's description of augmented reality? Yeah, so it's, it's the idea of you have this knowledge entering your senses, uh, be it vision, sound, smells, touch, and that's one way you interact with the world. With technology, what if we can enhance that experience or add more value than just what you're smelling, just what you're hearing, just what you're seeing? So what if when you 
started your vehicle up and it the computer in your car did a, a round of checks on your tire pressure, on your oil or whatever it needs to. And then it just gave you an audible ding to let you know that, hey, everything's good. Time to drive on safely and you can rest assured that nothing's going to blow up in your vehicle. That's a way of giving you an audio augmented reality to enhance your experience as opposed to just checking the check engine light. I, I realize that that's not the most inspiring example, but it's a simple one where I just want to make the point that these idea of augmenting your reality is happening already all around you, whether you know it or not. AR isn't just this idea of having a, a visual heads up display while you're looking at the world. Of course, that's the one that we see mostly, but it's all of these senses can be augmented. But if we talk about vision, that one's super popular because it's kind of right in front of your face. It's easy to do with smartphones and it has real practical applications. My favorite vision version of augmented reality is a, a mobile app called uh, Peak Finder. And so if you're in the mountains hiking and you, you're looking in the distance, you can see all these mountain peaks. Uh, and it's always been hard to understand which peak is which. And so with Peak Finder, it's an augmented reality app that you can hold your phone up and look through the phone uh, and then look at the mountains behind it. And it's identifying the peaks for you and telling you the elevation. And so that's a really fun, enhanced version, and it makes the hiking experience really good. That's what augmented reality is to me. Uh, and so it's not just vision, it's all of the senses, enhancing them, and basically providing a, either a more educational or more informative view of the world for you, or just plain fun version of the world, right? We had Pokemon Go and a couple other games in the last couple of years come out, uh, where it just makes AR a fun new way to interact with customers and guests. I think it's really good that you've made that point that AR doesn't have to be about the most crazy, immersive experience. It can be something really simple and companies can start using it in a really simple way that just helps out their customers. It doesn't have to be about taking them to a completely different dimension. It can just be about providing a really simple service or tool. So we wanted to bring this back down then to talking about B2C consumer behavior. So how this new technology is going to change the way in which people interact with brands in the future. And to have that conversation, it's a good idea for us to start thinking about what does behavior look like at the moment? How is behavior changing currently? What do we think is going to be the continuation of that change? How do you think in recent times since the pandemic, customer behavior has changed? What have been the, the primary things that you've seen? The easy and obvious one is safety concerns. And so, you know, people going to stores, being in close proximity to other people and touching public infrastructure uh, is definitely something the research is showing people are kind of concerned about doing right now. And so there's ways technology can help here and is already helping. And, you know, that's via various touchless technologies. So voice control, gesture control, your smartphone as a remote. Uh, all of these things are ways to still interact with physical infrastructure, be it a checkout process, be it a kiosk, be it a map in an airport, without physically touching something. And what's great about these technologies, they were invented and created and are being used not just be before the pandemic and not just because of uh, safety concerns, just because they're a better way to interact with things. So what's cool about these is that it's not a, a lesser alternative to, to touching things. It's actually a better alternative. So it's just a one-up, which is awesome. And using your personal phone as a remote while interacting in physical places uh, is another good one. Um, we've seen a renaissance of QR codes uh, recently. So it's definitely accelerated 
uh, QR codes. Another thing that is uh, you know, increasing that I'm seeing day to day is things like Apple Pay and Google Pay and various digital wallets are taking off. And so that's been accelerated. And then one thing I don't see a lot of people necessarily talking about is data privacy has seemed to started to become more and more uh, a talking point and thing that thing that people are thinking about now, starting to think about. And so I think that's generally good overall and empowering customers and consumers and guests with how they interact with brands, be it physical or not, and how they share their data with brands uh, is all about empowering customers, which I think is good in the, in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. But when we think about these uh, new ways of interacting with products in stores, whether we're talking about touchless interfaces, whether we're looking at uh, facial recognition technology or anything like that, where do we stand with uh, the customer sentiment on feeling stupid? I know that there was some research done relatively recently by your team and people in your team where they were looking at, yeah, but do customers, this is great in terms of safety. It's great in terms of not having to touch things uh, and ease or a more seamless experience. But are we sure that people are going to adopt this kind of a technology and feel comfortable using this kind of technology? And what are the kind of things we're seeing to mediate that, uh, that feeling? Yeah, so the, the numbers are showing that 45% of consumers uh, will be willing and able to touch digital screens in public places following a pandemic. So this isn't going to be like, a, we used to touch things and now we don't touch things. It's definitely mm. a, a, a gradual process for sure. And so, you, you know, I think it's on teams like mine and other agencies and digital technologists and creative technologists to make these experiences worthwhile. And then the adoption just happens because of the benefit. Uh, and so right now, if customers aren't using it, it's because we're not providing value for them to use it. And so I think that's more of a, uh, a strategy problem that uh, we're getting better at day in and day out. Yeah, because this is all relatively new, isn't it? I mean, when I say relatively new within the last few years, it's going to take a while before we've tried out these different things if in different stores, in different environments, with different consumers in different regions before we can actually work out what's going to work and what's not going to work, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where technology can help a little bit. So recently was working on um, this idea for a, a retail store where you have mannequins with different outfits that uh, are kind of in season or trending. And the ask was to bring customers' attentions to certain mannequins based on some some screens that were showing information about what the mannequin was wearing. So imagine you have three or four mannequins uh, lined up in kind of a central aisle, and there's a screen shared by all the mannequins explaining what the mannequin's wearing, and you kind of want to highlight with the overhead lighting each mannequin based on what's on the screen or what the customer's looking at. And so without even telling customers how to interact with this screen or interact with these mannequins or, or to learn more about the product that's on the mannequins, just by using vision technology to look at where their hand gestures are pointing or where their gaze is uh, being detected or their head is looking, we can, uh, with fairly good confidence, see which mannequin they're looking at. And then we can change the display based on what's going on there. And so that's using gesture control. That's using gaze detection, all these fancy sounding technologies without the customer even needing to know about or acknowledging it because it should just be a natural 
just a natural experience that just like, oh, I'm looking at this thing. It'd be great if I had more information about this thing while I'm looking at it, as opposed to it just being on like a carousel that's rotating. So it becomes really intuitive rather than kind of creepy. Yeah, exactly. And it's all just in time right there on site. It's not yeah. uploaded to the internet. We can do this with edge computing. Um, it's kind of uh, in that way, it's, it's safe and secure. I want to talk now about the fact that clearly everyone is online at the moment. We're not in stores as much as we'd like to be. There's a weird balance to be hit, isn't there? Because some of the pleasure for a lot of people when they go shopping or when they have these physical experiences is about the wider experience. It's not just about the purchase. It's not just about the transaction. It's about walking up and down the shopping aisles, feeling the different clothes putting things up against yourself, looking in the mirror. Maybe you're with a friend, maybe with your family, maybe it's just some time out on your own. And that whole holistic experience has value in itself. So how, how are you able to replicate or are we able to replicate that same kind of experience online yet? And if not, what do you think uh, brands are doing to, to make that a reality? Yeah, it's definitely, we definitely can't replicate the tangible physical nature of picking up a garment or picking up a, a sports product or whatever it is and trying that on. It's just not possible at home. But we can do alternative things and we can maybe even make the experience fun or enjoyable in other ways, basically by being creative. And so if you're buying clothing in a store, you know, typically you would try it on. At home, you can do pretty close with some of the uh, image-based virtual try-on software. Basically, they stand in front of a wall and it'll size you and determine what garment is best. And so you can kind of get close to that. And so brands are having much more lenient return policies to kind of help alleviate that. Uh, but what being at home does, I think the way you need to think about it is it enables other things that you can't do. Uh, in a physical retail. So yeah, in physical retail, you might have tangible abilities to touch the product and try it on, but you're also in a public setting. There might be lots of people around. You might be less likely to want to try on this thing because you have no idea how you're going to look. You might have questions and sales associates are too busy or just really not knowledgeable on the type of questions you're having. Whereas if you're at home, you can do it at your own pace, which is a great convenience. You have basically the whole world's knowledge available to do research and make you kind of this uh, professional consumer, so to speak, which allows you to find the best as opposed to the cheapest. Uh, you can take time with the product and things of that nature. So I think if we start thinking about what are the pros of not uh, having a ability to be in a physical presence to tr try on product and have a tangible experience, what are the pros at home that we can do that we couldn't do previously? And I think you can take advantage of the fact that the person has much more time and patience and mm -hmm. you have the ability to match them up with experts around the world that maybe maybe they're not in their local store. So if you're uh, a jean garment retailer and your style fashionista trendsetters are all located in New York, but I'm in uh, California or somewhere else, uh, being able to connect me with that person virtually at my convenience uh, is something that you really wouldn't do before because I would just go to my local physical store. But now that I'm forced to be at home, I can, I can have that experience with a brand via different mechanisms. And adding that additional information to a brand that you wouldn't otherwise get in a physical setting. I think I heard you talking recently about a, a grocery example. So if you're going to buy 
a pack of biscuits, for example, you've just got that physical branding. That's the only thing that's going to tell you the difference between the two products for you to make that decision. If you then transition that to an online or digital experience, you can supercharge that with lots of different product information, customer reviews, nutritional information, additional nutritional information, et cetera. So there are other opportunities for brands in that sense too. Yeah. I mean, if we keep going with your biscuit example, I want to know where the the flour, the wheat came from. I want to see the field that it grew on. I want to see the weather conditions. I want to know when this exact raw material was harvested. I want to see its journey from seed and soil to baked product. I want to see the packaging of it. The ability to tell a story around that single biscuit could entertain me, could enlighten me, could educate me, could help me make future decisions. And so it's it's the whole buying journey of educating the consumer, but then also teach me some new recipes, right? On a piece of packaging, mm. you're limited both legally on what you can put on packaging, but also by space uh, and fidelity, right? It's a 2D surface, often paper or plastic and not very vibrant, so to speak. But if you can get home with those biscuits and uh, scan a QR code, and next thing I know, I'm in the glorious wheat fields looking at how this biscuit came to be. I think there's value there. And I think there's entertainment there, value there as well. Uh, and so, you know, just telling a better story around those biscuits, I think is valuable. I really like that. And I think we've actually talked about this a while, maybe it was a year ago or something, Matt, when we had a conversation about this and we we're talking about, wow, like, imagine if you did this with animal products. Imagine if you did this with eggs and you got to see the chickens on the farm or, you know, where the cattle were raised or where the sheep were, you know, in some instances, it might not be something you want to see, of course, but in a lot of instances that becomes a differentiator for, for brands who want to promote you know, free range animals or organic, organic animals. Yeah. I mean, a free, a free range farm that has live cameras about and information yes. about the products and has how to's or not how to's, but educational, like once a Friday, meet the, meet the farm animals and it's, yes. uh, it's or meet the it's farmer. A t- Exactly. Like, and it, it can be a, a fun educational environment for the whole family just to tune in and see where those eggs or biscuits come from or whatever the product might be. Yeah. So just adding value and telling better stories. So much potential there. Let's talk about a different industry altogether where mimicking the physical experience is really important. Let's go to automotive or the mobility industry because you know, that test drive experience, that is something that is key to the buying process, that physical experience? What about using augmented reality or any other technologies to be able to support that process? Yeah, I think you kind of, you have to segment that customer base out in my mind uh, to kind of best suit it. And so I think you have a generation of people that maybe never will own a car, that maybe don't need a car, that are kind of an Uber consumer or whatever the future of that is, uh, public transport, et cetera. And so how do you cater to that consumer from a mobility perspective? And then you have, I guess, for lack of a better word, the traditional buys a car once a decade consumer, and how do you cater to them? Uh, and traditionally, a car purchase is uh, you know, maybe second only to a house purchase in terms of the scale of it for a person's uh, personal finance. And so I think there, you do have to go the extra mile for the consumer. And so you know, maybe that's scheduling appointments and delivering test cars to a person's residence so that they can test drive it or uh, they can rent cars for a week at a time to really experience the car and see if that's something they like. With AR, we can 100% see how a car will fit in your garage. We can see how a vehicle will fit in your driveway, what it looks like in this color 
what it looks like with these type of wheels and tires versus these other ones. We can do all kinds of things with interior colors and trim packages. And so we can do all of that in augmented reality uh, using web technology. So not even in a native app today. And some brands are starting to do that. And that's a great way to say, I really think uh, I, my family's growing and I need a larger vehicle to fit them all, but I have a very small garage. Can Let's see if this larger vehicle will fit in my garage. That's a great way to do that kind of stuff. I do think that is a very tactical and physical purchase. And it's such a large purchase. I do think uh, people still are going to want to have a physical, tangible interaction with that car. So I think technology such as scheduling and reservations to test drive vehicles is uh, where that'll be going. And so maybe you don't need such a large showroom and a car fleet parking lot to store all the cars so people can see. Maybe it's a, a warehousing model and a just-in-time kind of reservation system where you book a, a reservation to test drive vehicles and they come to you as opposed to uh, just popping into a dealer and test driving uh, whatever you see. I think that one's different just because of the, the large nature of the transaction, but it's an interesting one. Whilst you were talking, I was just thinking about applications across other industries that we were working in, and I don't know if this is possible or if this would even be something that people would want to experience. So feel free to shoot me down on this one, Matt. But thinking about the travel industry, do you think we'll ever get to a, a point where you can have a fully immersive staycation in your own home, whether that is, uh, you know, a full butler service or some way of having food delivered to you or like a really beautiful standard or a, a completely VR experience hotel room? I'm going, you know, I'm thinking crazy here, but do you think that is ever something that people will pick up to that level or do you think it's going to stay small service like uh, small services, little things that really help people rather than the full, the full shebang. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I don't know when it was a couple of months ago um, when we were all kind of uh, still in lockdown, uh, I saw a very heartwarming video of a dad with a daughter in a box in front of a YouTube video <laughs> of a roller coaster, you know, making it yeah. feel like a real experience. So that was awesome. But I, I don't, I don't see travel going away. I don't think, you know, it's, the, the adventure, that travel itself, that experience is, for me at least, what I'm looking for. Uh, it's not necessarily getting my picture in front of the, I don't know, Eiffel Tower or whatever. And I think we can look towards the themed entertainment space, theme parks and stuff for some insights and knowledge here. And so theme parks, for the longest time, they don't call them customers, they call them guests. But of course, theme parks are retail providers and sell things as well. But if you go to a theme park, it's all about the experience and riding rides and interacting with the, the story. And, uh, and so, you know, Universal Studios, Disney World, I think we have a lot to learn there where theme parks, the experience of it is what you're looking for, that entertaining, that fun time with the family. Whereas uh, it's really hard to augment that in AR and VR. What I think we can do with technology is making planning easier, making finding what you really want to do and help matching up the experiences for you a little bit easier. We can use start to use uh, machine learning maybe and automated views and things of that nature to kind of help consumers decide should they go to this destination versus that destination. But I'm definitely uh, a fan of physical travel and experiencing local cultures. And I just don't think the technology will provide the same experience just now. Uh, sure, you can get on a Zoom call and meet some locals from a place and converse with them. 
and I maybe that's a holdover, but I I don't see mm, that not being quite a real draw. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. I'll keep that idea for my back pocket for a couple of years. Yeah, a question here on something that maybe maybe you have haven't thought about. I don't know. Do you think that we're able to deliver these kind of services? Are we talk when we're talking about the consumers who are consuming these services, these experiences? Are we talking about a very small subset of consumers here? Are these the people who can go into a Canada Goose store and experience that amazing um, immersive experience that they have with the freezer, for example? Are we talking about people who are going to be shopping, you know, buying beautiful trainers from Nike or any of these other, you know, premium brands that are selling relatively expensive products? If we think about how most consumers across the world you know, what they're buying, what they're shopping for. They're shopping for groceries to feed their family. They're trying to feed their kids. You know, there is a question here about are these experiences, are these methods open to everybody or are we, are we tailoring to a very small segment of society here? Yeah, my response to that is that it better be open to everybody because then I just don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, it uh, technology should be used for the better of all, not a select group. And so, you know, back to the, the grocery biscuit example. So if you're just trying to feed your family uh, and one product is cheaper versus the other, but you have no idea if it's going to harm your, your family, being able to use technology quickly and affordably to better understand your your options and make you uh, an informed consumer, I think is a great example of where technology can help all regardless of your uh, socioeconomical status. Um, of course, certain technologies are inherently super expensive to do and do take time. Uh, so for example, smartphones, I mean, look at any technology trend, laptops, smartphones, they all start out big and bulky and expensive. And mm-hmm. as the as years go on, they, they go to the masses. Um, and just look at smartphones, more people have smartphones uh, in the world than, than traditional laptops, right? So that's kind of a almost a technology uh, leapfrog there. And same thing will happen with VR. It'll come down in cost for sure. And smartphones are already there, in my opinion, um, available to the masses. So yeah, I think uh, technology should serve the masses. You know, maybe the future forward-thinking technology inherently is expensive, and maybe that starts off with a, a niche select group of consumers, but I think it, it spreads out. I think that's a good place to end. Matt, thank you so much for joining us on uh, the conversation on the podcast today. Really interesting. So much stuff to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the latest episode from Valtech Cafe. You can find out more about the Valtech Future Studio and the amazing work they're doing to bring together pioneering research and insights, strategic planning, human-centered design and emerging technology in an innovative way that transforms businesses at futurestudio.valtech.com. We've got a great lineup of Valtech Cafe content set to come your way this year, so make sure you subscribe to get the latest digital insights straight to your favorite channel. Until next time. Thanks for listening.